as I said, I've been uh, starting on this series, um, which was basically a personal journey of mine and sharing it with you all. Um, lessons that I've learned through the pandemic, reflections on the pandemic, or as I, I call it, growing edges uh, through this pandemic time. And so this, this is the second one. Uh, last week was the first one. So I'll begin with this question. Did every, everything go as planned for you this past week? Were there any surprises? Were there any unexpected challenges? Did it all work out the way that you thought it would work out? How about the past few months or even the past year? Did it go as planned? If I had to guess, I would guess that many of you, including myself, we can say with all honesty that there were surprises this past week as well as unexpected challenges. In fact, we could all probably say that the past 10 months to one year has not gone as planned or maybe as we had not planned. So maybe some of the following sounds familiar. I had not planned on canceling the wedding. I had not planned on taking classes remotely. I had not planned on getting laid off. I had not planned on working from home every day. I had not planned on my spouse, friend, or loved one passing away. I had not planned on getting sick and staying in the hospital. I had not planned on caring for my aging parent. I had not planned on getting a divorce or separated. And I had not planned. Now you finish that sentence. I had not planned. You see, I think life is often punctuated with that statement. I had not planned or we had not planned. We're reminded often in very stark ways that life doesn't go as planned and we can't control everything. In fact, it's probably more true that we can't control anything at all. I had, and I probably still do, live under the illusion that if I work hard enough, if I plan well enough, if I prepare often enough, and if I discipline myself consistently enough, that life is gonna go as planned. Sometimes I do live under that illusion that I could bend life to my will. But then soon enough, something happens. And life teaches me that I live under this illusion of control, and I do it often at my own peril. Even the philosopher in Ecclesiastes, who I referenced last week, writes this in Ecclesiastes 7, 13 and 14. Consider God's work. Who can straighten what God has made crooked? When times are good, enjoy the good. When times are bad, consider. God has made the former as well as the latter, so that people can't discover anything that will come to be after them. Now my takeaway on these words is simply this. I can't bend and force life to my will. I can't straighten out what has been made crooked. Life will simply happen. It's out of my control. And this passage reminds me that life is a mystery and there will be good days and there will be hard days, but in both the good and bad, God is present within them all. Now, I hear the philosopher in Ecclesiastes wrestling with how these good and bad days come about. Do they just happen or does God create them? Now, I think this is certainly a matter of interpretation, but my take on it is this. I hear the writer saying that God creates each day and each day is a gift. And within each day, God is present, even with our best plans. We don't know what will happen on that day, whether it'll be a good day or whether it will be a bad one. We walk out the door every morning. We have intentions that this will be a good day. We've planned a little bit, maybe we've planned the night before, but we don't know what will happen. And when the days are good and good stuff happens, we're invited to enjoy those days, and that's good. 
When days go bad and sideways, though, I think I hear the writer of Ecclesiastes saying God's still present within those days and within our life. And it's in those moments that we discover that life is a mystery. Not a mystery to be controlled because we can't control life. But it's a mystery to be explored and discovered and received. Now, this is always an important reminder for me since I and maybe many others often feel there is something I could have done. I could have done to avoid the bad and hard days. There's something I could have done to avoid the hard stuff, but this is living, again, under the illusion that I can control life, that I can control anything. I saw a list the other day of things that we can't control. This list included stuff like change, weather, traffic, the past, future, other people's minds, other people's happiness, other people's actions. And I'm sure there's more that could be added to this list. In fact, I can't control freezing rain. I can't control whether the power goes out or the power stays on. In his book, Here and Now, the late Henry Nowen wrote these words. While realizing that 10 years ago, I didn't have the faintest idea that I would end up where I am now. I still like to keep the illusion that I am in control of my own life. I like to decide what I most need, what I will do next, what I want to accomplish, and how others will think of me. While being so busy running my own life, I become oblivious to the gentle movements of the Spirit of God within me, pointing me in directions quite different from my own. Henry Nouwen reminds us that we can be so busy trying to run our lives and control life that we miss out on those gentle movements of the Spirit, as he says, of God pointing, directing, and guiding our lives. I, I myself, can be so busy being frustrated with the hard and challenging days that I'll miss these gentle movements of the Spirit of God in my life. And often these movements of God's Spirit are leading me towards what I need to learn and who I need to become. And what I've learned most during these pandemic months, my growing edge, is that simply I cannot control life. So I need to pay attention to what I can control. And here's what I've learned. I'd like to share it with you. First, I've learned I can control my response to life. In fact, one of the gifts of practicing contemplative prayer is that of positioning our soul to respond to life rather than react to life and people. There's a difference. Contemplative prayer offers us this gift, this space within our soul, which we're able to step back, see life as it is, as it really is, and see it within the presence of God's love and care and mercy, and then to choose how we want to respond to life. And when I say I can control my response to life, I'm essentially saying that I can choose how I respond to life, to all of it. When I react to life, I do it without thinking. I say things I don't want to say. I treat people in ways that I regret. I make rash decisions. I make quick decisions. When I respond to life, I've taken time to create the space where I can choose how I want to respond. I can choose who I want to be in that response. I can choose the direction I want to go, or at least the direction I think I need to go. When I respond, I am making choices from a heart that's more settled, from a heart that's more calm. When the pandemic first started, one of the first books I pulled off my shelf was a famous one, a classic written by Viktor Frankl titled Man's Search for Meaning. 
Now, Viktor Frankl was a neurologist, psychologist, and a Holocaust survivor. And one of his greatest contributions was studying why some folks survived the Holocaust and others didn't, at least survived it with a sense of hope. One of his discoveries was that regardless of being a prisoner, those who survived or exhibited hope under all of those harsh conditions of the concentration camps were those who used what he called their internal freedom to choose their response rather than having their response dictated to them by the harsh conditions around them. The most recognizable quote in his book is this one, quote, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response, he writes, lies our growth and our freedom. Now, sometimes that space is small, sometimes that space is large, and oftentimes that space, I think, is created by us through slowing down, contemplative prayer, silence, even meditation. However, it comes to us. What Viktor Frankl reminds us is that it is possible for you and I to choose our response to life. And it's within that choosing that we experience our truest freedom and our greatest growth. We are not reacting to people's demands. We are not reacting to how we're being treated. We are not reacting to treat person in the same way. We are choosing how we want to respond. We are choosing who we want to be. Oftentimes it means we end up choosing hope. It means we end up choosing love. It means we end up choosing forgiveness and kindness. Now, what are we choosing? We might be choosing how to better a situation rather than allowing ourselves to become bitter. We might be choosing creativity over neg negativity. We might be choosing to love our neighbor rather than attack our neighbor on social media. We might be choosing to come up with solutions rather than always point out the problem. We might be choosing to come up with one simple, one simple step we can take today towards our best intentions and our growth rather than allowing ourselves to feel stuck. We can even choose self-care for our bodies and our souls and our minds because we've hit an emotional wall and we're just tired and wrung out. We might simply choose to give ourselves permission to grieve because, quite frankly, in that moment, that's how we feel and we feel sad. This is our greatest freedom, though, Frankel tells us, the power to choose our response to life. Now, I've also learned I can choose what to focus on. In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote these words, from now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent, if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Now, I don't hear Paul saying or writing to avoid all the hard things of life as much as I hear him inviting us to consider where we focus the direction of our hearts and souls because what we focus on will certainly influence the directions of our hearts and souls, and if you will, it will influence the weather, as I like to call it, the emotional weather of our hearts and souls. One researcher put it this way, how we deploy our attention determines what we see. Or if you're a Star Wars fan, and I know there's plenty of them out there, as Yoda put it, your focus is your reality. And I think Yoda's onto something. Your focus is your reality. To focus is to give attention, and to give attention is to direct all our energy towards something or someone, and that focus creates all reality. So here's the question. Where do I want to focus my attention? 
I saw this hilarious meme on Facebook the other day. It read, somebody please start a fight on Facebook. I need something to read. Now it becomes less hilarious when we realize it's very true. Sometimes we just love to see a good fight. Sometimes we just want to dive right into that fight. But that's our focus. And after our focus and attention is on the latest hot button issue or the latest verbal fight um, on someone else's Facebook thread, and then we find ourselves getting frustrated, we find ourselves getting reacted, and we dive right in, and then we give our two cents or we passive, passively, passively aggressive post the opposite view, hoping the person will read it, and then it just begins to consume us. And then we wonder how we ever got to that point. To choose our focus isn't to avoid the hard conversations. Rather, it's realizing that we have the ability, I have the ability, to direct our attention towards what's constructive, life-giving, redeeming, creative, and working towards a world in which everyone can flourish. It is, as the Apostle Paul writes, choosing to focus on that which is excellent and admirable. And in Paul's day, the word excellent was really just another way of saying that which is true and beautiful and right. So another way of framing it is to ask this question. Am I focusing on that which is life-giving and beautiful and flourishing? Or am I focusing on that which is ugly, demeaning, diminishing, and, in, and inhibiting the soul to flourish? Remember, as Yoda says, your focus is your reality. And your reality will really end up creating your thoughts, how and what you choose to think on, what you choose to focus on, and really who you choose and who I choose to become. Well, finally, I've learned I can choose what I prioritize. Now, not much to add to that other than to say that I have the, I have the ability, you have the ability, and freedom to choose what matters most in our lives and what needs to matter most and what needs to matter most in our lives. There's times I sacrifice that which matters the most on the altar on that which matters the least. That doesn't mean that life has to be serious all the time. In fact, sometimes it's important just to prioritize moments of play, to even prioritize moments of downtime. In fact, downtime and prioritizing downtime can be a wonderful way to care for our souls, choosing what we choose to take in and focus on. Even that can be prioritized. So setting priorities is simply managing well that which is important in our lives or what needs to be important in our lives. Often we allow external expectations and demands to set those priorities when in reality we are the ones that can set them. Often our lives are left at the mercy of the tyranny of the urgent, and usually it's urgent on someone else's calendar when it doesn't need to be urgent on ours. I'm reminded of a moment in Jesus' ministry when after a night of prayer, the disciples came looking for him, and they tell him that everyone is looking for him. And Jesus says to his disciples, let's head in the other direction to the nearby villages so that I can preach there. That's why I've come. Jesus literally said, let's head in the other direction. As we often say in today's lingo, Jesus knew his why. To proclaim the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' purpose. That was his priority. And in that moment, he chose to be led by his priorities over the demands of the crowd. And I really feel that those priorities for Jesus were clarified as he spent time alone in prayer and solitude and silence. Because I think prayer, solitude, and silence can offer us that space where we can learn to listen to our own lives, learn to listen to our souls, hear what our best intentions are, hear what is important to us in our life, what needs to be important to us in our life, 
and then to focus our best energies where God is calling us. As Henry Nouwen again wrote, it's listening to the gentle movements of the Spirit of God and the direction God is pointing in our lives. Jesus knew what direction to head in because he knew what his priorities were. He knew where God is calling him. And oftentimes our lives are led in directions that we don't want to take. That's not of our choosing. We have somehow succumbed to other people's directions, other people's expectations. We've accommodated to it. We have not made what is important to us a priority. In Ecclesiastes, the philosopher writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 7, Human misfortunes are overwhelming because no one knows what will happen and no one can say when something might happen. I think the philosopher is right. It can be overwhelming, but what we can do is focus on what we can control. And what I've tried to do in this message is simply offer you a beginning point to see that there are ways we don't have to feel completely powerless. That's a really, really tough place to be in when we feel we are completely powerless. We can control our responses. We can control what we focus on. And we can control our own personal priorities. And when life feels overwhelming, maybe, maybe the best thing we can do is simply hit the pause button, take a deep breath, and ask ourselves, in this moment and during this season, how do I truly want or need to respond? What can I focus on? What are the best priorities I need to set? And it's in those moments that our growing edges, I think, begin to emerge.